0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com.
1: The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune told him to take the hand, take him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, Then he called two centurions and said, get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also, provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, his governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. having learned that he was a Roman citizen, and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was accused about questions of the law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by the night to Antipatis. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with them. And when they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Sicilia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you that you are here this morning. We thank you that you are going to be speaking to us now. Uh, We pray that as you go through this message that you would speak through Randall, that you would let him know what he uh, is being told to tell us through you, God. I pray you would show us what it is to have courage in this uh, day and age and what it looks like for Paul here in this passage, God. Um, We thank you that you... uh, are going to lead us through this time, that you do not uh, stay silent during these times. So yes, God, just be here now, and you and pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Ricardo. Hey, good morning, everybody. As, um... Ricardo said we're going to be in Acts 23 this morning, and so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 23. Um, and we are in the book of Acts. Where we're wrapping up. We're going to be in the book of Acts till the end of February. And then we're going to jump into the book of Isaiah um, as we prepare for Easter. Uh, but we've been finishing up the book of Acts, and what we found as we've been studying is that uh, God uses ordinary people. Uh, God uses ordinary people, and so I love that uh, Curtis and Miho shared this morning um, and, and shared their story about how God's uh, working through them and calling them to serve in different areas, and, and really knowing them um, and hearing a little bit about their story, um, there's, there's things in their story that, that God is is now uh, working through to help other people, right? There are parts of their story that, that God is working through to help others, um, and so it's a bigger story than what we see on the surface, but there's, there's much more. And so uh, what we call is family on mission, that we're not just gathering here on a Sunday morning, just enjoying a service together, but we are a family on mission. Uh, there's a purpose that God has called you and me uh, to live out in this world. And So we've seen that in the book of Acts. And we are uh, right here in the thick of Paul's life um, in Acts 23, uh, and we're looking at verses 11 through 35, and as we look at what's happening here to Paul, um, the message for today is beyond the trials. Uh, beyond the trials. Over the past few weeks, uh, we've been looking specifically at the the last section of the Book of Acts, um, where it's been labeled as the sufferings of Paul. I um, mean, at this point, he has uh, finished his missionary journeys, and is coming to a close uh, to the, it's really the end of his life. Uh, And as we look at Paul's trials and as we look at our trials in life, one of the questions that we ask is the question, why? Why am I going through this? And so as we look at Paul's trials, we can ask, like, why so much suffering? Why is he going through this? Why, a, a faithful man who's just doing what God wanted him to do, why is he now, uh, again, like by his own people, it says that in verse 10, he was about to be, he, he could be ripped apart, ripped to shreds by the, the crowd as he shared with them about Jesus. Why so much suffering? Question why? But my encouragement to you this morning is not just to ask the question why? But to change that question and ask, what? What? See, what is God doing beyond the suffering? What is happening that's much bigger than what seems like so many trials and so much discouragement on the surface? Is there something more? Uh, growing up, one of my favorite gifts that I got during the holidays was my parents um, for Christmas got me the Ghostbusters um, like house, you know, like the, the 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 stage, the fire station. Like they got me the house and the car and all that stuff. And so I remember like watching all of the movies of the Ghostbusters, and I loved it. It was it was so much fun. Um, and I saw recently that there was like a new one out. I'm like. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, that's like so cool, right? Um, and there's this uh, quote in this movie um, of the the new movie that came out of uh, Dr. Vinkman. And so if you know Dr. Vinkman, Peter Vinkman, Bill Murray, all that. And so, um, and it like draws you in because they put it in the, in the the trailer. And like all this carnage is happening and and this quote comes, you know, and is call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. I believe everything happens for a reason. And you're like, oh, such a great quote. So cool. Sounds nice, right? Yes, everything happens for a reason. All of this carnage that I'm seeing on the screen, but there's going to be some resolution at the end. But what does that quote even mean? Like, what does it mean? Is there really purpose and a reason behind it all? Or is it just a nice quote in a movie? See, it worked out in the movie, but what about in real life? What about real life? In his book, Why God Makes Sense of oh, in a World that Doesn't, Gavin Ortland explores the difference between uh, naturalism living in a godless world versus theism living in a God-centered world. And he says, theism allows us to live within our humanity more comfortably. Okay. He says, this is why. We are not accidental collocations of atoms, as Bertrand Russell put it. We are characters in the middle of the greatest story ever told. What? What's happening here? What's beneath the the suffering and all of that? What is it? Gavin Ortland and the Bible would say that there's the greatest story ever told that's being written right now. It's been written in the book of Acts. See, at the end of Acts, much like uh, the book of Esther, if you read the book of Esther, God's name is not directly mentioned in the book of Esther. And what you're going to see in in today's uh, narrative of what happens here as we read the actual narrative itself, God's name is not mentioned of what's happening, but we get a clue in verse 11 of what's really happening. We see that God's invisible hand is at work in the midst of Paul's trials. Is it just a coincidence that all of these things happen in this narrative here? Or is it the hand of God at work in the greatest story ever told? What is it? R.C. Sproul in his book, The Invisible Hand, says, while the popular adage declares that the devil is in the details, it is more accurate to avow that God is in the details. The doctrine of providence declares that God's providential rule extends to all things great and small, From the huge to the minute, the infinite to the infinitesimal. As much suffering as we experience in this world, could we believe that there's a greater story that's being told? Because if I don't believe that personally, man, I get discouraged and I get caught in the details, right? I get caught. See, what is God doing? Not just why, why is this happening, but what? Is he at work? And what is he doing? So our text is from Acts 23. And um, the question is, how does Paul find comfort and protection in knowing God is in the details? Well, it's when he experiences, number one, God's assurance. Number two, God's hand. Number three, God's plan. God's assurance, God's hand, God's plan. And so the first one is God's assurance. Look at verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, Paul has just shared his story to his his people in Jerusalem. We find that when we talked about this last week in Acts 22, that he was sharing, he was talking about, this is what happened to me. But when they heard that he was ready to go share this good news about God with the Gentiles, it said that they they started to rage and there started to be commotion and it said that they were ready to rip him to shreds. And so Paul finds himself in prison in this barracks Uh, Really, to protect him uh, from the crowd that was ready to kill him. Uh, At the end of Acts, Paul has five judicial trials that he goes through. And each of these trials are there to teach us something. Uh, Leo Schuster, who's a pastor, says Luke, who's the writer of this book, is highlighting not only the judicial trials, but Paul's personal trials. He's helping us to enter into his world personally. Uh, last night I watched uh, this movie that, that was uh, about uh, a college uh, university professor that goes on treks to go to see and explore uh, the journey of Paul. Uh, really what he went through uh, and the the actual like artifacts that are there. So like our faith is built in history, right? So there's actual artifacts that he's finding and discovering and all this. And I learned so much because I, as I was watching and seeing um, Paul, his journeys were not these easy go five minutes down the road type of journeys. But like when we would read like a passage where he goes from one place to another, right? Um, This was like three week journeys, Uh, long journeys, treacherous treacherous journeys where he could have died. Um, the, the, The places where he went, like Cilicia, like this was a place that was filled with pirates, um, like people who were robbing other people, like the, 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 the city had to move like inland because it was so dangerous because of the people that were living on the coastline there. And so Paul had endured all of these types of things, and now he 's at this place in his life where he 's come and, and he 's imprisoned, and he 's discouraged. he 's discouraged. See, on the outside, it appears that Paul's life is coming apart at the seams. Like, have you told people about some of the things that you've gone through? Like, just maybe like your last month, last week, last year. And then people's mouth kind of goes, wow, you've been through a lot there's a lot there. Glad I'm not in your shoes, right? Like that type of thing. Because on the outside, it seems like everything's falling apart. There's this song, and it might sound cheesy, but I think it's true. In the song, it says not, your life is not falling apart, it's falling into place. And if we believe, like the Apostle Paul, it's not falling apart. It's actually falling into place exactly where it needs to be. Could it be that God's at work? See, what Paul needed at this point as he's going through these discouragements, because we find out what does the Lord say to him? The Lord comes near to him. What do you say? Take courage. Why would you tell somebody to take courage? Because they're discouraged, they're down. And so Paul needed something more. And so what did God's assurance look like? Well, there's two parts. The first one is the closeness of Jesus. Here's what it says in the verse, uh, in verse 11. The Lord stood near Paul. The Lord stood near Paul. Now, Jesus often appeared to Paul at crucial points in his life. Uh, We see it in in Acts 16 and Acts 18 and Acts 22 and Acts 27. We see that the Lord comes near to Paul in those moments because the Apostle Paul, yes, the Apostle Paul got discouraged. What was he experiencing? One commentator points out that Paul had found an unsupportive church in Jerusalem. He'd suffered physically and emotionally. He may be questioning and wrestling with discouragement and he's feeling alone. He feels like he's all by himself. He was in deep need of God's grace and encouragement. And what does it say? The Lord stood near to Paul. See, what happens in our lives when we're going through discouraging moments and we feel like we're alone? It can take us on a spiral even deeper. But what is behind The story, what's what's really happening here? Well, Hebrews 13.5 tells us, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So even in those moments where I feel like I'm alone, I'm not really alone. God is there. And that's what Paul is experiencing in this. And he needed to know the closeness of Jesus. He needed to know it. See, for Paul, he had these supernatural encounters with God. For us, it could be just opening up your Bible and reading a passage. I can't tell you how many times I've opened up the Bible and I'm like, no way. Are you serious? Like, I needed this right now. But what is it? It's not just that I just opened up and happened to turn to the right page or something like that. But... That there is a closeness that God is there. Do you know what the Bible says that God's word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword? It's living and active. It'll speak to you in ways that you would say, there's no way that's, that's possible, but it does. There's a closeness that, that Jesus is there. But listen to the words, the words of Jesus and said, take courage and you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. See, Paul had heard from the Lord. God told him like, hey, you're going to Jerusalem. And so he was as we looked at, uh, going through moments where he was t- telling his friends, Hey, I need to go to Jerusalem. I need to go to Jerusalem. Other things telling him, No, you don't need to. People coming in, No, don't go, don't go, don't go. But he said, No, I need to go. And he goes, and he ends up in this situation. Can you imagine the, the thoughts that are probably going through his head? Man, I should have listened to my friends. I should have listened to those people that were telling me, Don't go. But he already knew that God had told him, this is what you need to do. And so Jesus comes to him and says, take courage. See, I trusted you, God, to go to Jerusalem. But now God is telling him, hey, it's not, this isn't the end of the story. This isn't the end of the road. You're actually going to Rome. See, what is the life of Paul and ultimately the life of every Christian? It's trusting that God is in control. That God has a plan. That God is working in ways that we can't understand. That God is calling us. See, how did God's assurance in this moment as he's really encouraging Paul, how did this help him? Well, it was a reminder that God knew Paul's situation. Was Paul just on his own or did God know that Paul was going to be in this situation God knew he knew all the details here's the thing you and I are going to go through things that you your friends or your even your family members might not even know all of the details or even understand but God is saying I do understand I do see I know what's going on not only on the surface but in your heart The same thing is happening with Paul. God knew the situation. God was near to him. He didn't didn't cast him out. He didn't forget about him. But God was there and God was for him. God was cheering him on. And God wasn't finished with him. See, what, 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 do we, what happens when we get in that place of discouragement and we're just asking maybe that question of like, why? Why am I here? Why, what, what, why did I have to make this decision or that decision or whatever? Like we end up, you can't change the past, right? We can't. But God's assurance is, I'm with you in the middle of it. And that's what we find with Paul. God's assurance is, I haven't left you. You're still my child, and I'm with you. Second, we see God's hand. Now, again, you're not gonna see God's uh, direct name mentioned anywhere in this, but he's there. Uh, In verse 19, it says, the commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked him, what is it you wanna tell me? He said some Jews have agreed to, to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are awaiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning: "Don't tell anyone that you reported this to me." When he called, uh, then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, "Get ready a detachment of two hundred soldiers, seventy horsemen, and two hundred spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix." Now again, at no point do we see God's name mentioned here, but God is definitely at work. This is God's invisible hand. See, verse nineteen talks about a young man. Now, who was this young man? Well, this young man was is we are told earlier that it is uh, Paul's nephew. It's it's his sister's son. Now, at no other point in the Bible do we hear about Paul's family, uh, but in this instance, this is what we hear about his family is that somehow some way there was a conversation that was happening and Paul's nephew was in earshot distance of hearing the plan to kill Paul he hears this conversation and so what he does is he takes this information to the commander verse 22 And the commander listens, hears, and says, don't tell this to anyone that you reported to me. Why? Because he would probably be killed. And so the commander says um, to his centurions, in verse 23, get 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. In verse 24, provide horses for Paul. Paul is in a situation where you think there's no way out. There's no way out. There's people that want to kill me. If he goes out there, he he would have been dead if there was no intervention. But somehow, someway, God puts these people in the right places at the right time to get the information, the people that could actually do something about it, And the solution is resolved. Like, there was a situation that Paul didn't even realize was happening. But God did. God knew. And he sends the right people at the right time to help in that situation. Now, we can call it coincidence. We can call it all those things. We can call it luck. We can call it, like, whatever uh, Bill Murray would call it, right? Like, in that quote. Like, just kind of happens. Or we can say, no, there's something more happening behind at all Kenneth Gangle said sometimes God delivers his children by the simple word of a young relative sometimes he has to call in the Calvary at all times he is ultimately in charge what is it that I believe behind the difficulties and trials that I'm going through in life are there things that are purposely sent into my life that God allows into my life that are actually meant to make me trust more in him and believe that he has a plan? Could God's hand be at work through all the discouragement? See, have you seen moments where you might have called it coincidence that ultimately were the hand of God at work? There's this podcast out right now that's talking about the implosion of this church, right? This church is like kind of imploded uh, because of pride, arrogance, um, and just a lot of other things, other reasons. And before me and my wife uh, thought about church planning, uh, we were looking and asking God, what do you want for us next? And... Looking back, I was in the interview process to work at that church as a lead pastor resident. Everything was lining up where I was like, okay, maybe this is what God's asking me to do. And my wife came up to me and she says, I don't know why, but I have this feeling that if we go there, it's gonna be a really dark time. And so I remember the day I called him up and said, hey, I, my wife doesn't feel comfortable with this and we're not going to come. And my friend who worked there called later and said, I don't know why you said no to that opportunity, but he said, God's protecting you. You made the right decision. Years later, now I realize wow, look at what God did. Look at God's hand at work that we were here instead of there. But friends, on the surface, I couldn't see it. And so I just want you to know that, again, you can look at your life and say, well, that's just a bunch of coincidences. Or you can look at your life and say, man, God's grace, God's grace. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that you work. Last is God's plan. Look at verses 31 through 35. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day, uh, they let the cavalry go on with him uh, while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. Uh, the governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear the case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. See, Paul, in his discouragement, being rejected by his own people, imprisoned f- for his own safety, again, possibly could have been torn to shreds, not lived but died. Now it's being transported safely on his way toward Rome, where God said this is where you're going to go. See God's plans are true. Verse 11, Jesus told him, "As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome." See, there was something bigger that was going on that Paul could not see on the surface, but God knew, and God was planning and directing and pointing, saying, "I'm going there. This is where this is where my plan is going." Somebody who, in Scripture, was discouraged because of the things that he was going through is somebody named Job. Um, Job, at one point, was going through so much trial and trauma that he just was like, God, why? why? Why am I going through all of this? Why? And God speaks to him. It says, basically, there are things that you will not and do not understand. These are the mysteries of God, friend. And, and basically, he's like, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Like, then how would you understand what I'm trying to do that's much bigger than than what you can understand? And do you know Job's response, Job 42, one through two? Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Right, like there is something much bigger. Like the thing about Job and like reading through that book, Job didn't know that Satan had asked to basically destroy his life. And God said, "No, he's going to trust me even through all of that. My servant Job, he loves me. He really loves me. He doesn't love his stuff. He loves me." And what do we see? He finds that, yes, it's true, that he actually did love God. Tony Morita, who's a commentator on this text in Acts, says, So the nephew thwarts the plan. Lysias reports the plan. Soldiers transport the prisoner. And all this occurs under the sovereign rule of the king. God has an infinite number of options for working out his will in our lives. While our daily lives may not look spectacular, we can be assured that God is involved in the affairs of his people. Man, to go through life and to feel like, oh, it's just all coincidence, I'm uncomfortable with that. (laughs) But to go through life and know that there's a God who's with me bringing resolution to things in ways that I could have never seen or understand. And his plan's much bigger than what I can see on the surface. That's the God of the Bible. And so just some takeaways as we look at this uh, text today. The first one is this, remember his presence. Remember his presence. You might be coming in here so discouraged and you're just stuck on that why question. And I get it, man, I've been there. You're just like, why is all this stuff happening? But like the encouragement is the what. Like in, in remembering what is it is, is remembering that he's with you. What's behind it all? Like that, that God is, is still there. Henry Nouwen once said, our life is full of brokenness, broken relationships, broken promises, broken expectations. How can we live with uh, that brokenness without becoming bitter and resentful except by returning again and again to God's faithful presence in our lives? To God's faithful presence in our lives. And I know that many of us, we walk around just bitter, discouraged, and we're stuck in that place. But do you know the thing about the Apostle Paul is, is he never lived as a victim of his circumstances, but he actually says that, that his victory is in knowing Christ Jesus is Lord. He says, life got me down. Life get, can get you discouraged. He says, but death, where is your sting? Like He says, my victory is in Christ. Will I live remembering his presence, knowing that he's with me, and not living as a a victim of my circumstances because I can easily fall into that trap of self-pity. But living as somebody who's victoriously trusting God above my circumstances, right? Remember his presence. Bring, bring those things, those areas of bitterness and hurt and all those things and bring it to him and say, God, can you help me through this? Because I don't understand. I don't understand this. Lord, help me. Second, remember your calling. Remember your calling. See, what gives us encouragement when we're down and discouraged? When we're down and discouraged? In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul reminds Christians of their calling. Of their calling. He says this, he says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-27. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called Friends, you and I, we didn't just happen to become Christians. We didn't just accidentally fall into it. No, there's a God that is pursuing you, pursuing me, drawing us in with his grace, calling us. As a father calls out to his children, come home. There's a father in heaven who's done the same and, and, and sent his son to pursue us. And so remember when you were called, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Here's the thing about being a Christian. It's understanding that's not in my strength. It's understanding that I don't have the wisdom. I'm, I, if, if it were me, just me, on my own, trying to navigate life, I'm a fool. I'm a fool. I've heard the illustration before, like, do you ever look back on your life and, and think to yourself, man, you know, 25-year-old me or 15-year-old me, I didn't know anything back then. Like, like my kid, right, they're like, oh yeah, that's baby stuff, right? Like they like look back at stuff and you're like, oh man, I didn't know anything. And if that was us then, what did we think about ourselves? I thought pretty highly, I thought I was like making good decisions. I thought I was like doing the best I could, right? Like 39-year-old Randall looks at 29-year-old Randall and I'm like, you thought you knew a whole lot, man. And you Don't, you know, like if I were to look at me back then, I'm like, dude, you got a lot to learn, bro. Like, you know, like that type of thing. The same thing is true for you and me. And so he's like, like, look at yourself. There's a God who called you who's wiser and much greater. He's called you. Remember your calling. And if he's called you, your child Nothing can take that away. Nothing can take that away because God chose you. God chose you. See, for some of us, we look at our lives and think, like, man, I haven't been chosen for anything. They didn't pick me for that job. They didn't pick me for school. whatever it might be. You know what I'm saying? God said, but I chose you. Let that sink over you for a minute. Like, let that settle over your, your life. The God of the universe chose me. I guess I was watching that, like, thing of, like, Paul's journey and his history and stuff. I was like, my, my jaw was dropped because I'm like, like, that's, this is, like, God is real, <laughs> Like, God did all this. Like, God made a way for all of this to happen that we are, like, reading this today. Right? It's not some, like, abstract thing that we don't even know details about. Like, we're reading the details. That's crazy. See, our God made a way for this to happen. And as Christians, our calling in life is, is to remember... That we're his children, not based on what we do. It's not based on all of my mistakes and all the things that I've done in the past, but what he's done. You're called to remember what he's done. You're called to live in what he's done. And you know what that's gonna do? It's gonna, it's gonna radically change your life because the last one is remember his story. You didn't end up here by accident, but you are like living right now in the story. You're living in the story right now. What's the theme of Acts? God is still writing his story through ordinary people. Why do we do the family on mission thing? Because God is writing a story through your life, through my life, that all lines up with the greater story, which is his story, and we get to be a part of it. We're gonna get caught up in the why. why. Why is all this stuff happening? We're gonna see what God's doing and see that, oh, wow, there's a bigger thing that's happening than what I could see on the surface. And if I could just look back, like I'm looking back over my life now, the decisions I would have made in the past, saying, wow, God, you protected me from this. You protected me from this. You did all of these things. Look at what the Lord has done. See, ultimately, the gospel stories, that Jesus going to the cross was not plan B. It wasn't some kind of like reaction to a fallen and broken world. No, God had a much bigger plan. Isaiah 53 helps us to remember that, and we're gonna be studying Isaiah, but it, It's talking about Jesus. It says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. You know what God's plan was? He's saying, in a broken world, in the decisions that we make, Instead of breaking my people, I'll be broken myself. God's plan was to be broken so that we didn't have to be broken. God's story was that Jesus' life would fall apart so that our life could fall into place. Friends, do you see the gospel message of how God continually again and again took on the, the brokenness so that we could be put together. See, why did Jesus do this? Because in the gospel, there was much more than just the surface and the trials that Jesus faced. There's much more than a bloody, beaten Jesus on a cross that's laid into a tomb. There's much more than that. What was God doing? Isaiah 53, 10, And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. When you see your life in my life in the hand of Jesus, you know what kind of hand that is? It's a nail-scarred hand. It's a hand that is rough and callous from work. The work that it took for us to be saved. When we see that our life is in his hand, then our life will start to make sense. Even through the suffering and the trials that we face, knowing that there's something more that's beyond the trials. Let's pray. Jesus, it's hard at times to see you, to see you at work through the things that we go through, through the trials and difficulties that we face. But Lord, we bring all those things to your feet and we ask God in our brokenness, we just keep bringing it again and again and say, Lord, help us to see that you're near. Help us to see that you're speaking. Help us to see that your hand is at work even though it's, easy for us to think, oh, it's, I, I got here on my own. We didn't. And that ultimately you have a bigger plan than what we can see. We lay all those things at your feet, Lord, and ask that we remember that your grip on us is stronger than our grip could ever be on you. And that because you've called us to be your children, your firm grasp is the best place to be. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.